over our church. Father, thank you so much, um, God, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, as a family, we come together and we pray for one another. God, I pray for each who has lifted their hand today. And God, I ask that you empower them with an extra measure of strength and grace this day. I pray that you would wrap your arms around them and let them sense you and feel you even this day. Let them know that you're there. And God, I just pray for power. Uh, Lord, I pray for peace. I pray for wisdom. And I, I pray for fortitude. And Lord, I pray that even this moment they would sense that you are working in and through their life. That you are carrying them and that you will take them uh, through this time, uh, no matter how difficult it may be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would grow them in this day and that we as the body of Christ would minister to them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today we're talking about the perfect place. And the perfect place is actually heaven, of course. And uh, there are a lot of concepts of heaven. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21. And this is probably the best description. We're not going to be able to go into all the details today, but we're going to look at that in just a few moments. If you went to John chapter 14, though, in John chapter 14, uh, we have a passage that uh, I, I read quite frequently, to be honest with you, uh, at a lot of funerals. Um, in John 14, Jesus is speaking to his followers here, and he's preparing them uh, for what will occur and uh, for the time that he will leave. And he's giving them strength and understanding, and he says this, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. You know, the great news we have for the believer, for those who call Christ Savior, who know them know Him as their Lord and Savior, is that we have that eternal home. And John speaks about it here. Matter of fact, about 1,300 years later, there would be a guy named Marco Polo. He was actually named after the Apostle Mark. And he, of course, many of you know the story, when he was about 17 years old, he left Europe and he traveled around the known world uh, and even parts that were not known uh, to many people in Europe. And he spent a lot of his time in what we would call modern-day China. And he was with the the senior Khan or king, as we would use in our vernacular, and uh, just was exposed to a lot of things. He was exposed to uh, many spices that he had never uh, encountered before, uh, steel, gunpowder, uh, the Khan had a palace that had a 6,000-seat banquet room, and it was just so unfathomable. When he returned home 25 years later, he began to share all the things that he had seen uh, with his family and his friends and those who lived in his community. They didn't believe him. Matter of fact, it was so bad that even on his deathbed, the, the priest was there. I, you, My son, take this ch- opportunity to recant the lies that you have spread and that you shared. And Marco Polo, it said on his deathbed, said, I've only told you half of what I've seen. That's a picture of John. John, who wrote the Gospel of John that we just read in uh, chapter 14, and now the book of Revelation. John is trying to describe with mere human words the vision that he has seen, the vision of heaven itself. In, In a day when there are so many misconceptions and misunderstandings about heaven, 
I think we can find comfort in this book. Comfort in chapter 21, as I believe those who first read this letter found. Those who were under tremendous persecution as they would have read this letter and if they would have understood heaven. Heaven's not a place where, uh, where we sit on clouds and we play harps. Heaven's not the concept that Hollywood gives that we just kind of interact with earth and we kind of go back and forth and, uh, and we, we still have problems. We still act dysfunctionally, but somehow we're, we're angels or something. You know, we've gotten a big load of lies from the media and, and from Hollywood about heaven and about what is meant for our eternal purpose and our eternal state as believers in Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, is is one of the best examples we have of what it is. And I want to encourage you to read the rest of the chapter. We're just going to look at the first nine verses today. But if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. And let's look at this passage here. And let's talk about it for just a moment. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. They didn't exist. So here's what we know to begin with about heaven. First of all, there are heaven is used uh, in different ways throughout the Bible, and there are different descriptions. As a matter of fact, Paul says that he saw he had a vision in the third heaven, indicating that many Jews had uh, three views of heaven. The first view, or the first heaven, so to speak, would have simply been the sky. When you look up and you see the sky itself, that was uh, commonly understood as the first heaven uh, by Jews. Okay, The second heaven would be the universe itself, the moon and the stars and the whole universe itself. So you've got the sky, then you've got the universe, and then the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. And that's what we're talking about uh, most of the time when we are making references. But then here's the last one. The fourth one is the new heaven and the new earth. Remember the new heaven. We're not talking about the new dwelling place of God, but we're talking about the new universe. When he says the heavens and earth, go back to Genesis chapter 1, and God created the heavens, the universe, and the earth. Okay? So God created all. All that's going to be passed away. All that's going to be uh, removed. And we're going to be given, and we're going to dwell in a new earth, with a new, in a new universe. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about the new Jerusalem and a new city. As we continue here, he says, a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there will no longer be any sea. Now, that sea could be talking literally about the water, uh, which now covers uh, two-thirds of the world, but it also could be descriptive uh, of the dead that, that reference, that analogy is sometimes used, that euphemism is sometimes used for the dead or even evil uh, itself. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we know what the others are. And it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and prepared as a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. Prepared. As a bride. Now, what is the bride of Christ? It's the church. Now, there are a lot of different interpretations, but I'm going to give you mine. I believe he's talking about, yes, the city, but he's talking about the church, the believers in Christ who are coming back, who are coming to the new earth, 
to the new heavens, to the new place that God has created that is perfect, the perfect place, the perfect nature. He continues on and he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Now the dwelling of God is with men. Now the only other time that we see the Greek word that's used here is actually back in the book of John once again. And the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14, is speaking of Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. And tabernacled, literally is the word. And dwelt. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, and when He dwelt with mankind, we see right here that God Himself, in all of His infinite glory, now the dwelling of God is with men, and will live with them and be their God, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The old order. There's a new order. There's a new world. It's not that we're going to just go float around and exist somewhere. But we're going to be on in a new place where everything is right. Do you, live in a, do you live a life or do you live with the memories that someone has wronged you? Do you live in an environment at work, maybe even home, where someone has mistreated you? Where someone hurts you? Where you live in fear? Where you live with regrets? You know, the great thing about the economy of heaven is that's all wiped away. Not only that, all is just. All is right. All the people who have been marginalized, who call themselves followers of Christ, all those who have suffered, it will be made right. Matter of fact, there's good indication for us to believe that those who are first here on earth, even in the kingdom of God, those who are the pastors, those who have been given things of earth, those who've had the great life here, we're going to be kind of be behind those who suffered on this earth, those who've been mar- those who have been marginalized, those who have been uh, who've been who had bias exercised against them, those who have had issues of hunger, those who have been abused and mistreated. It's going to be right. That's the place. That's the economy of heaven, and what a great place. It will be. Everything will be right. There'll be no hurt feelings. There'll be no relational difficulties. There'll be no ego. All will be right and just. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything New. Then he said, write this down. The words are trustworthy and true. I am making everything new. Now, that word new in the Greek is not just talking about, oh, you get a new car. You get a new house. It's much richer and much fuller than that. Not only are you made new, you've, made, you've been perfected and you never degenerate. You know how now we get a car and After a while, it just degenerates. After 10 years, we call it an old car. Our homes degenerate. Heaven knows our bodies degenerate. We're talking about a new body on a new earth that does not degenerate. We will be in our most perfected form. 
We won't have to worry about what we eat. I believe you can still eat in heaven. We see Jesus eating after he came back. I believe the joys of life are going to be fulfilled in the most unimaginable way in heaven. So if you want to drink something or eat something, it won't be like this Thanksgiving holiday like I did. And you go, three pounds? Come on, man! You won't be saying, I only got three pair of pants I can wear now. You won't have to worry about that. You'll be at the perfect weight, the perfect health, because you're going to be given a glorified body. And you know, there's an indication in Scripture that the image is still there, that you are recognizable, but you're in a perfected state. Won't it be great to be made new? The way God intended for you to live. The way God intended for you to be. No more aches. No more pains. No more, what do I wear today? What does my hair look like? What's happening to my hair? No, none of those questions will ever be asked again. For you will be made new on a new earth that's perfect and pure and sinless and right and just and worshipful. Here's the truth of it is. There's no one in the whole world, the whole universe, that experiences joy more than God Himself. And He's going to dwell with us. And we're going to be fulfilling our purpose, which is to bring Him worship and praise. And as we live, as we eat, as we drink, as we relate to one another. You know, here's the best way I can describe it. You know, sometimes I go in the mall. And when I go in the mall, it's like my nose says, the Cinnabons. I smell them. I shouldn't go over there, but I, 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 I can't help it. I go over there, and, and most of the time I refrain from getting one now because I only have three pair of pants. And so I go over there, and I, and I refrain from getting one, but I'll just smell it for a while. I'll try to put it on my clothes because I just love just that hint. You know, that's what we have here today. We just kind of have a hint of heaven. Every once in a while we'll have a great moment. Our son or daughter is baptized. We see someone who's completely transformed. They trust Christ for their life. We see a marriage put back together. We see a baby born. Whatever happens, we experience the joy of of a job we've been waiting for. We graduate, whatever it is. And we get just a taste, just a sniff. But that's all it is. It's just a sniff. It's not the completion. It's not even the real thing. Heaven. All things will be made new, will be made right, will be made perfect. Write this down, for these words are true and worthy. He said, it is done. I'm the, al- I'm the alpha. I'm the one that started the earth. I'm the one that started mankind. And I'm the omega. And I'm the point for which you live. And for the purpose for which you will live forever. The beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, and he references Isaiah 55 here. To him who is thirsty, I will give to him drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Back in Isaiah 55, he was talking about a group of people who had suffered greatly, who were wearied, who were weak. He said, come and drink. He's giving that analogy. He's giving that picture here that all that you long for, All that you need satisfied, you will experience complete gratification. 
He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But then he gives what in the, the ancient writers call a vice list. Now, remember this. Remember we talk about this when you interpret Scripture. First of all, you say, what does it literally mean? But the second question we have to ask is, what did it mean back then? Before we can ask, what does it mean today? Well, back then, when they would use the vice list, uh, often it was to describe what was going on or situation that was going on and issues that they were dealing with. Well, specifically what's being dealt with here, I believe, if you go back, remember how we studied the first three chapters of Revelation and we had the seven churches and we saw some of the vices that they dealt with and we saw some of the rebukes that John gave, or Jesus gave as John recorded. Well, I think you can go back and you can see. Remember who this letter is being written to. It's being written to those seven churches and then it's being passed around in the 90s or anywhere from 90 to 100 A.D. It's being passed around in this area to people who are being persecuted and who are suffering. And he says, now, look, let's talk about what it really means to be a follower and a believer of Christ. And then he gives this list right here. This isn't meant to be used as simply, okay, if you do anything, then you're not a believer. Let's look at this. He said, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they, their place will be in the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, let's go back in history for just a moment. Let's remember those churches. First of all, this is my interpretation, the cowardly, those who denied Christ. Those who, when the pressure came or when it became inconvenient, they go, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a believer. I can turn away from this at any point. That, that's fine. Uh, if that's what you need me to do, I'm, I'm good. Number two, we see the unbelieving. Those who simply maybe showed up for a while. Maybe they were part of the congregation, but they really never bought in. I don't really, I can't really buy all this. can't really buy this whole Jesus, this whole heaven thing, this whole salvation. I'm here, I'm listening, but I don't really buy into it. Continue here, and he says, and the vile. The vile, what is he talking about here? Well, that's a very strong word that's used in the Greek here, and it was descriptive probably of a lot of the cultic practices that were going on in that day in the honor of worship. We know everything from the, from uh, the, the, the god Molech, in which they offered child sacrifice, uh, to uh, the abuse of children, the abuse of women in the name of worship, is probably what he's talking about when he talks about being vile in this instance. He continues on, he says, the murderers. Well, who are the murderers? Well, we know Paul was a murderer for a while, wasn't he? He was going around trying to stomp out Christianity. He was trying to exterminate Christianity. And murders are those who killed in the name of God, he's talking about. But let me just go back again and say, you know what? All can be forgiven when we recognize that we are sinners, that we are sinning, and we need forgiveness and we need the Savior. The problem is, is there was no repentance here. This was the attitude. This was the heart. He continues here, and he says, the sexually immoral, as we talked about weeks ago, how many of the cult practices, uh, top temple prostitution uh, was occurring. And some of the churches were chastised because they were participating at worship at the local temple. Uh, they were engaged in uh, sex at, at the temple with a, with a temple prostitute, calling that worship. 
and then coming over to their own church, then coming to First Baptist or wherever they were going to. And they were greatly rebuked for that. Uh, as we see, Jesus gave the words to John. and He's talking about this group once again. The idolaters, those who worship Caesar as well. It's not just Jesus, but Jesus and Caesar. We can worship Caesar. We can wor- worship the idols as well. And the liars, those who live the double life, those who said they believed one thing, but yet completely lived the other, who had no evidence and who had no faith. They simply were the Sunday morning believer or attender, so to speak. Well, as we look at this, the great news is that we go back to the gospel of John. First of all, there's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the God of the universe. Just as we read earlier or stated earlier in John chapter 1, verse 14, that He came and He dwelt among men. There's a day coming where He will come and He will take His own. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be a new economy. There'll be a new rule, a new order for those who know Him. Secondly, there's a place. The place is heaven. Not just the sky, not just the universe, but a new heaven and a new earth that will be created for all of us who trust in that Savior. But there's also a pathway. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Have you come to that place where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? When we talk about heaven, is it something that you hope for or you long for or you wonder about? Or that you can anticipate because you know Christ is Savior. You don't have to wonder, will you know my name? Will you hold my hand? You can know that the Savior is there waiting and ready because of your relationship today with Jesus Christ. I want to read you a passage from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that speaks of this. It speaks of the new body. And I want you to just listen to it for just a moment. Listen. I tell you a mystery, speaking to the believers, to the church here. We will not all sleep, and that's a euphemism for death. But we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet will sound. And for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. Remember we talked about this is a perishable body that we live in now. But we will one day have an imperishable body. And the mortal with the immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. And the mortal with the immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Ken, if you would show that picture one more time. The sting of death is sin. Sin is what caused death. Sin is what caused the fall in the garden. It is completely removed. That's why God's creating a new earth, a new heaven, a new place for us to dwell where sin has no part of it, where death does not exist. But thanks be to God, He gives us 
victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hey, you know how we adorn the bride, how we make ready the bride here on earth? By our righteous acts, the Bible tells us. It doesn't save us, but it is preparing the place for which Jesus is building for us today. The bride is being prepared, and we have a part in that. In that. And as we share of the love of Christ, as we serve, as we suffer for His namesake, the bride is being adorned, and the place is being made ready. The question is, are you ready today? Have you come to that place where you believe the promise, you believe the person, and you've entered that pathway, not as a type, not as a possibility, but that Jesus is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. Have you transferred your trust from anything that you can do and received His grace and forgiveness and committed your life to Him? If not, I want to invite you to do that today. Let's pray. Father, if there's one here who's not trusted you today, I pray that they'd take this moment to say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. And God, I, I, I don't know. At this point, I just hope I go to heaven. But God, I, I want to know. I want to invite you to come into my life and save me. I believe that you're the God of the universe. And that one day, Lord, you're going to make everything right. And I, I can't answer all the questions right now. And there are a lot of things that bother me. And that's because things aren't right. Because you are not ruling and reigning over this earth right now. But you are the God of the universe. And all things must come through your hand. But one day, Lord, sin will be taken away and will be removed. And Satan and his demons will be removed from having any influence. And all will be perfect and pure as you intended. But until that day, Lord, we live here on this earth. And we live with our doubts and our struggles. I pray, God, that we would not allow them to be used as instruments against us, God. That we would see you for who you really are. And we would recognize, though we only have a sniff of what heaven is really like. Though we only have a sniff of what the glory of God is really like that we would by faith trust you and invite you in our lives and take over and become the Lord of our lives. So, Lord, if there's one who's not done that, I pray that even now they would pray that prayer and say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I believe and I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Lord, prepare us as believers as we come to the table of the Lord this morning to receive of your table, a table in which we will sit at one day in full spread as a banquet, the banquet of heaven, But today, Lord, we remember how we have that opportunity. And that was through your death, burial, and resurrection. As we receive of the bread of the body that was beaten and bruised on my behalf, that dwelt here in sinless, in a sinless nature amongst men. And the blood that was poured from your veins because you said in your word there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So you sacrificed yourself once and for all so that we might know forgiveness. Lord, we receive at the table in honor and thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.